Well, good evening, and uh, welcome to our service. It's good that we're able to uh, welcome you to an evening service for the first time uh, in many months. And we're going to begin our evening service as we begin uh, all of our times together uh, with worshipping God uh, in scripture and in song. So I'm going to read just a few uh, words from uh, Psalm 103, which begins like this. Uh, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And we've come here together uh, to praise the Lord, and we do that from our inmost being, praising his holy name. So our first song uh, is on that theme, uh, bless the Lord, all my soul.
Father, we thank you that on this day we can come together and we can praise you in our inmost being. You are worthy, O God, of all our praises. Whatever our circumstances today, you are always worthy and you are always good to us. You are indeed rich in mercy and slow to anger and you have shown that to us. We thank you that Jesus Christ has come and has died for our sins, and we have been given new hearts to praise you. And we thank you that our praises will be never-ending. They are never-ending in time, in that they will last forever, and they are never-ending in content. There is always more to praise you for, and we sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We take time this evening, Heavenly Father, to pray uh, for our children and our young people who are going back to school uh, tomorrow for the first time since March, and many who have been back uh, this week starting new schools uh, and starting primary school again. Uh, We give you thanks for the education that they receive, and we pray that the children and young people in our church would expand their minds, uh, that they would Uh, get positive experiences at school, and we pray you would help them to make good friendships, especially those who are starting or have started new schools. We pray that you would remind them uh, to be diligent in their studies and enable them to get back into the routine of school having been off uh, for so long. Uh, We pray uh, for uh, the teachers as well, especially we think of the those from our church who are teachers and teaching assistants and working in schools, uh, we pray that you would help them with all the logistics of uh, the children coming back into the schools. And we pray you would go before them uh, and help them and guide them. And in the midst of uh, a really difficult and uh, uncertain time, that our Christian teachers and schools workers would be good witnesses for Jesus in these days. And we pray that for our children and young people too, that they would point their friends, their peers to Jesus in their attitude, in their actions, and in their conversations. And help us as a church to continue to pray uh, for and to support our children and young people. Most of all, uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that they would come not just to know lots of uh, good facts and educational things uh, about life, but that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ, the one true and living God, and grow in their love of him. And to this end, we pray that you would guide us as a church as we uh, can look at resuming uh, Discoverers and 1 on 6 again, and as we've begun Sunday school, 
Uh, we want the children and young people of our church and many more besides to join us in being able to say from their inmost being, bless the Lord, O my soul. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, this evening we're coming to uh, the, the last uh, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, we began them at the beginning of the year. We had a break uh, and we've been coming back to them and then we've had another little break while I've been on holiday. Uh, but we finally got to the end uh, of the Ten Commandments. It's taken, it should have taken us about ten weeks. It's closer to ten months, but uh, we're on the final one tonight. Uh, and what we're going to think about is our desires, what it is that we uh, desire the most. Uh, and we're going to have a Bible reading now from Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Uh, and here we're going to read about a man who had a desire for riches more than he had a desire for Jesus. And it's in Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to read from verses 19 uh, to 26. Matthew 19, 19 to 26. So I'll give you just a moment more to turn there. Uh, rather, from verse 16, not verse 19. Matthew 19, from verse 16 to 26. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life... Keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Well, our desire, unlike this uh, uh, young man, should be, to have God above all other things. And in, in another part of the Bible, in Psalm 42, that was a prayer of David. He said, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so longs my soul for you, O God. And we're going to hear our next song, which is a reflection of that Psalm uh, of David. Uh, it's as the deer.
we've been going through the Ten Commandments, we've been uh, reading them together as a congregation. Uh, so we're going to do that now. Uh, we've, uh, I've been adding to them each time we've come to uh, a new commandment each week. Uh, and so tonight we're going to read the whole uh, section together uh, from Exodus chapter 20. So just as a reminder, if you remember when we've done this before, uh, there are black letters and red letters. Uh, the black bits are the bits we read all together, and the red bits uh, I'll read on my own. Uh, and so hopefully uh, that makes uh, sense. Uh, so let's stand uh, together, and we'll read uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verses 1 to 17 as a congregation. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. 
you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Please uh, take your seats. And if you have uh, your Bibles with you, uh, we've been reading the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, but this evening, uh, if you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, you may or may not know, but the Ten Commandments are recorded for us twice. Uh, in Exodus, they're recorded just after Israel had left Egypt as slaves. And in Deuteronomy, they are recorded again for God's people just before they enter into the promised land uh, that God was going to give them. So, uh, in fact, Deuteronomy literally means the second law, so it's a reminder uh, for God's people. But, um, but they're worded sometimes slightly differently, and so I'm going to look uh, specifically at verse 21. Well, some of you uh, may recognize uh, the strange experience of being listened to by your mobile phone. Uh, Paula recently was on the phone to her brother on her birthday, and she was asked by her brother, what did you get for your birthday? And Paula had been uh, uh, given a record player because we had inherited a whole bunch of old records and had nothing to play them on, and so she had, for her birthday, uh, a record player uh, that did all sorts of other fun things as well. Uh, and her brother thought this was really, uh, really good, a lovely present. Uh, but he had never in his life ever thought about buying a record player. He'd never really talked about it. But when the phone call had ended, uh, he had to ring Paula back to tell her how all of a sudden on his phone he had heaps of adverts for record players. The only way that the phone could be showing him those adverts was that he had been listened to in his conversation. Now, some of you may or may not know that the, the big tech companies have uh, extremely sophisticated algorithms uh, that track all that you search for online. And if your settings are not set up on your phone to prevent it, listening to what you're saying for keywords that they can use to advertise things to you. 
Now, for some of you, you may not think that's a problem at all. Uh, others may be uh, pretty freaked out by these kind of capabilities. But one thing that we can say is true is that so often what pops up on our phone is therefore a pretty good indication of what our desires might well be, what we want. These algorithms, as well as the colors on our phones uh, are, uh, that prompt us to look at things, are designed, and millions have been spent and paid to designers so that they make us part with our money. And it works because Google and Apple and Facebook and Amazon are among the most valuable and profitable companies in the world. And they, do, they are so because they understand desire. And they play on that and get people to part with their money. Paula's brother had never thought about buying a record player until he was shown one on his phone. He, I don't think he's bought one yet. I don't know. Uh, but it wasn't a desire even until perhaps it was prompted within him. Now, as we come to the end of the Ten Commandments uh, today, we're going to think about desire. What do we want most in our lives? Is it what we see popping up on our phones, or is it something more important? Is it a desire for God? And desire is an important word to understand in this final command. Uh, we'll see this as I read the command from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, to covet means to desire or to want. And two words are used here in Deuteronomy 5, which is why I'm, I'm focusing on this particular verse. You, you see the word covet, and then you see the phrase in English, set your desire on. Now, there are two different words in Hebrew, one word, but you've got covet and set your desire on. Now, covet is focusing mainly on what we see, what we can look at with our eyes, and set your desire on is more of an inner desire or longing for something. And both of these apply to the command regarding coveting here. And it is about directing our desires. It's about what we long for, what we think will satisfy. And we're going to see that what really and truly satisfies is more than things we can merely see. But before we uh, look at the command regarding desire here, it's worth understanding that desire itself is not necessarily wrong. And that makes this command quite unique compared to all the others. All the other commands are really wrong always, aren't they? So it's always wrong to make an idol. It's always wrong to murder or to lie or to steal. But it's not always wrong to covet or to desire, because there are good desires, aren't there? And the Bible is, is pretty clear on this. Here's some verses that will help us. Uh, Psalm chapter 19 and verse 10, this is from the ESV translation, because it has uh, the word desired there that I was looking for. Uh, it says, more to, this is talking about God's law, 
More to be desired are God's laws than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The word desired there is the same word as in Deuteronomy and Exodus is translated covet. Same word. In Genesis 2, we read this about God's creation. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And again, the word uh, for pleasing there, pleasing to the eye, is the same word as we have translated covet in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So God made trees in the garden that we would covet, that we would desire to look at. In uh, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 15, uh, King David has a very uh, physical desire in that he longs for a drink. So he sa- it says, David longs for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And again, the, the word longed here actually is the same word as set your desire on. So David had a a deep longing for water. He wanted a drink from a specific well, and that was not a bad desire to have. When we're thirsty, we desire a drink. That's that's good. And then Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 9 talks about desiring God himself. So we read, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. So we see there a desire for God. So, so desire or coveting is not always wrong. So if it isn't wrong, what is wrong in this commandment? Well, the clue is in what is being coveted. Notice as I read it again, uh, where the coveting is directed at. What are you not to covet? So uh, you are not to covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's, you are not to set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see? It's not that we should never desire a a spouse or a house, but you must not desire those things that belong to your neighbor. You must not desire that which belongs to somebody else. In order to understand uh, what this means, we're going to change the structure a little bit from what we've looked at previously in the Ten Commandments. If you remember, we've looked at how they free us, how we failed, how Christ is the fulfillment, and what the future of it looks like. We're going to actually begin tonight with how we fail so that we understand what this commandment means. So that the failure of covetousness. If desire is not always wrong, how is it that we fail in covetousness? Well, we can look at how we fail in this as a a series of downward steps. And the first step, and most obvious in the command, is that we fail when we want what is somebody else's. And this is far more subtle than you think, because when you think about desiring what is someone else's, what might come to your mind, or at least what came to my mind as I first was reading this, was, I want to steal it. Whereas, actually, we don't often want to steal what's someone else's, but that's not what's going on here. This isn't stealing. 
This is desiring what someone else has. And it's very subtle, and I'll try and show you that by some examples. So first of all, we have our neighbor's house. This is where the, their, 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 their security, their, their, where they live. So, for example, we might say, well, their house is in such a nice neighborhood. Why do we have to live in a place like this? Or their house is always tidy, and my house looks like a dump all the time. Or how can everyone else afford such nice things in their houses, and I never get any of that kind of stuff? You see? Or your neighbor's wife. Well, this person's wife has aged so well. Why can't my wife age like that? I'm saying this as examples, by the way. <laughs> um, I thought I made that clear. Um, or, or their husband helps with the housework, and, and mine does nothing. Why can't he be more like them? Or I would be so much happier if I was married. Not being married is just rubbish. And then we look at the, the, your, your neighbor's male and female servants, which you could look at as referring to leisure time, which male and female servants would allow people. So how can they afford to go on those kind of holidays? I wish my holidays were more like that. I just get to go camping or stay with my family. Or they've retired early and I'm stuck in this dead-end job. How come they got so lucky? Uh, or you, if you look at the ox and the donkey, I'm, I'm sure none of us have an ox or a donkey that we're longing for, but oxes and donkeys, what you owned was a measure of wealth and status. So we might think, if only I had their salary, well, then I'd be happy. Or my car is a piece of junk. Why can't I have a car like they have? Or why does everyone think that this person is so great? No one thinks like that about me. You're thinking about status. And then the, the, the command at the end kind of summarizes anything else which is your neighbor's. So all of my friends have the new PS5. Why can't I have it? I wish I had their intelligence. I wish I looked as slim and had their body build. I wish uh, their, fam well, their family just looked so much more fun than mine. Mine is so boring. Why can't I play sports like they play sports? Everyone else's life is just so much easier than mine. Mine is just so complicated. You see? And th those are just examples uh, of how we look at what someone else has and we are desiring it wrongly. So we fail when we are constantly looking at other people's lives and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And that leads to a second step downwards. Because when we want what someone else has, we are discontent with what God has given us. And there is a difference, however subtle, and I think it's hard to work this out sometimes, between desiring something better and discontentment. So for example, if our, your car is breaking down a lot, it's not wrong to desire a car that's reliable. But where we go wrong is when in our hearts we're blaming God for giving us rubbish cars all the time and giving everyone else a good one. We're blaming God for giving everyone else stuff that is good, but always giving us things that are a bit duff. So that kind of attitude is 
an attitude of discontentment. You know, we, where, we think so, where, where we think we're always wanting something else to make us that bit happier. And some people have this attitude all the time. They're always wanting more and more and more. Discontentment. And this is because of a third step of failure. Because when we're discontent with what God has given us, we are showing how our heart is set on earthly things instead of God. And this is where those big tech algorithms come into play. Because a heart that is not set on God is constantly window shopping. Always looking at the next thing they want to buy. Uh, you know, constantly looking online, scrolling at the things they wish they could have. How many hours are spent scrolling through Amazon or other stores? Or not even online. Uh, I don't even know if they do the Argos catalog anymore, but you know, uh, some of you will remember what that was. Where you flick through and look and look and look, wishing you could have all of the stuff that is in there. Longing for it. Wishing you could afford it. And compare how much time that you spend looking for stuff and compare that with how much time is spent thinking of the things of God. Be honest with yourselves. Do you desire God more than a new phone upgrade or a luxury holiday or a bigger home or a better car or a nicer body or whatever else you might covet that's your neighbor's? It's a challenge, isn't it? Or if those things, this is another indicator of where your heart is set, if those things were taken away, would you be able to function, do you think? Does your life fall apart if your phone battery dies or there's no Wi-Fi? Can you say with David that as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, or... Has something else replaced my God? And there's one final step downwards that shows that we are failing in coveting the wrong thing. And that's when we hold tight to things and not let them go. When I'm saying things, I'm meaning stuff. Now, the rich young ruler in our Bible reading tonight could not let his possessions go. Because he treasured them more than he treasured Christ. He would not let them go. And so we even read he went away sad. He didn't go away thinking, oh well, he was, he, it doesn't really matter. He was sad, but he treasured his wealth more than he treasured Christ. And we show that we do not desire God when we do not let go of the possessions which are really his anyway, where we lack generosity as God's people. So notice that downward spiral. We want what someone else has. That's where it begins. We are discontent then with what we have. Our desire becomes set on earthly things, and we hold tightly to those things, not letting them go, not sharing them, not being generous. And we see that this is a very serious sin in the Bible. Uh, the word covet 
is perhaps most famously used in the Old Testament uh, with the man Achan in the book of Joshua. The Israelites were told to leave the plunder of Jericho behind because it belonged to God, so it was someone else's, it was God's, but Achan stole it. And when he was caught, listen to what he said. When I saw the plunder, in the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And this was so serious that Achan, along with his family, died because of this sin. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that it's also very serious there too. Uh, In our NIV translations, the word covetousness in the New Testament, when it's talked of negatively, 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 that's the right word, um, when our desires are going in the wrong direction, it translates it as the word greed. But the meaning is the same. So greed is misdirected uh, coveting, if you like. So here's some verses from the New Testament. God gave them over to a depraved mind. This is talking about the, the, the world at large. So that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So the the heart attitude of wanting what is not legitimately ours, taking that downward staircase is something that is an attitude of a world under God's judgment, Romans 1, is something improper for God's people, Ephesians 5, and is something which we should put to death and is idolatry, Colossians chapter 3. And if it's idolatry, it is therefore by definition slavery. The idol of wanting more, of materialism, is relentless. It's a God that drives people hard and never satisfies. Because when you want more and more and more, it will never ever be enough. This is why you see billionaires still wanting to make more money when they have all that money could buy and all the money that anyone could ever need. But they want more and more and more. A good place to look to see how this idol is a slave master is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says this to Timothy, those who want to get rich So not those who are rich, but when you want it, you're you're coveting that, fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So wanting to get rich, if that's your desire in life, your goal, is a form of covetousness. And look, to where, look at where it leads. It's described as a trap. It leads to other 
foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And it causes people to wander from the faith. And, and Jesus said this, you cannot serve both God and money. And earlier we saw that that rich young ruler wandered away from Jesus because he wanted to be rich. And it brings many griefs. So covetousness in this way, this kind of greed, wanting more and more, is slavery. And as with all the Ten Commandments, this command is given to show us how we are to live as free people. Don't live like this. Do not covet your neighbors and so on. But live as, as free people. Free people are enslaved by wanting more. So as, as, e, as Israel left Pharaoh, the harsh master, and went into a new situation with, a, uh, with, a, with, with, with God who gave them commandments to free them, so we as God's people have left the old life of sin and now we have a new life with a new master, our heavenly father. What does it look like to be free from this wrong direction of desire? Well, Paul actually gives us the answer to this in the verses preceding these ones in 1 Timothy 6. Listen to what he says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Instead of wanting to get, to get rich... We should be content. And there is real freedom in contentment. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus gives a parable about a rich fool. He had a problem, this fool. Uh, his harvest was too big uh, for the barns that he had. And rather than uh, share it with others and invest it in God's kingdom, his decision was, uh, we need a bigger barn. So he built bigger barns. But just as he had done that, his life was taken from him and he could take nothing with him. He died and he left all of his grain behind him. And Jesus was saying, this is a foolish way to live because you can't take it with you. In the lead up to the parable, listen to what Jesus said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Or you could say covetousness. Life does not consist in the abundance and an abundance of possessions. Now, for so many in our world today, that's what life consists of. Especially in the West, it consists of how can I get as much stuff as I can? But and, and from this very parable, actually, the parable of the rich fool, we get the phrase which is famous. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's where the phrase comes from, that very parable. And it was the attitude of the rich fool, and it's the attitude of our world today. And sadly, so many uh, professing Christians are caught up in this culture of, I've got to get more and more stuff. But Paul the Apostle offers us a much better way, the way of contentment. Now, what does contentment mean? Well, here, here's what, what contentment means. It is joyfully and thankfully accepting what we have from God 
and knowing that he's sufficient for us. It is joyfully and thankfully accepting that what we have is from God and knowing that he is sufficient for us. Discontentment says, God, you're not enough. You don't provide what I really need. You don't give me what I want. So you are therefore not sufficient for me. But the contented person says to God, you are enough for me. I trust you to provide all that I need. What I have is what I need. I trust you. You are enough. We don't need more than what God has given us because God provides what we need. And here is the the, the key. When we are content with what we have, we really have what we need. When we're content with what we have, we really have what we need. Now, this doesn't mean that if there's a leak in our roof, we say to God, well, I'm, I'm quite happy with this. Um, you've given it me. Uh, I don't need to fix the leak. No, that's not what this means. If, uh, if, you, if your roof is leaking, you're not supposed to be happy that the roof is leaking. Um, you, you get the roof fixed. But what we don't do is blame God for the leak. Say, these people don't ever have leaks. It's always me. Woe is me and all of those kind of things. It's not not getting the leak fixed. That's not being discontent. Really, it's more of an attitude of the heart that recognizes that God is what we really need. Uh, Jesus sums it up well in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Have that as your priority, and all these things, the things you need, will be given to you as well. Put him first. Prioritize him. Desire him above all other desires. And all those other things that you need, your Father in heaven will provide for you as well. So our devotion should not be for getting more stuff, but seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Now this is not easy. In Philippians 4, Paul uh, says that he has learned the secret of being content. So it's something that we learn over time. But whilst the Christian life is never meant to be easy, it is meant to be joyful. And that is not found, that joy is not found in material things or in longing for our neighbor's house, spouse, servant, and animals. It's found in Jesus, the one who is the fulfillment of contentment. True contentment, true joy, satisfaction is found only in Christ. When you buy something new, you get a a buzz from that, but it doesn't last very long. Jesus talks of a different kind of satisfaction. Listen to his words in John chapter 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me... As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Here Jesus speaks of himself as living water, like a a spring that keeps on gushing up, never ending. In other words, only he can satisfy our deepest longings. Those things that you desire the most. We will only be truly satisfied For eternity, 
if we drink of the living water that is Jesus. We should be longing for him. And he gave us what we really need by paying for all of our sins, including our misdirected desires when he died on the cross. And now, as his forgiven people, we can have a future of contentment. What does that look like? How can we as Christians live out in freedom this command today? Well, interestingly, when Paul speaks of the secret of contentment in Philippians 4 verse 12, he tells us what the secret really is. Notice this in these verses. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. How can we be content in all circumstances? We can't except through Christ living in us through the Spirit, giving us the strength to remind us day by day, he is sufficient for me. He is enough. The secret to contentment is having God in us, giving us the strength which as forgiven people we have to know that he is enough. And so in the power of God, what does contentment look like? Well, I think we can begin with the biblical principle of a heart of gratitude. A contented person has a heart of gratitude. That is turning your focus from what we don't have to thanking God for what we do have. Uh, when you're, uh, as Christians, um, mo most Christians uh, pray before we eat. Uh, so, for example, today I had, uh, I had, I had roast beef and I had roast potatoes and vegetables. I didn't have Yorkshire pudding today. I didn't mind it. I had to cook it. I couldn't be bothered. Uh, when I'm praying and I'm thanking God for the food, I don't pray, God, thank you for this food. I wish I had Yorkshire puddings, right? You thank God for the food that's before you, not for what you don't have. You thank God for what you do have. We thank God for this food. Lord, there's so many others in this world that couldn't even eat any of this food on this plate, they, they can't afford it, they don't have it. You've provided us with so much. We thank God. We don't think about what we don't have. We thank him for what we do have, a heart of gratitude. And so I encourage you to spend time each day, and if that is before dinner, great. Thanking God for what he has given us, both in terms of the gift of salvation those, those spiritual blessings that we recently have looked at in Ephesians that we have in Christ, as well as the, the many, many blessings of common grace that he gives us day by day. And I would encourage you to, before, uh, when you pray before dinner, think as you pray. It's easy to, to just pray rote prayers, prayers that we don't think about. Think as we pray, thanking God for what he has blessed us with. And it's so much, isn't it? Um, there's an old song uh, that we used to sing in Sunday school, uh, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And it's true. A heart of gratitude. But as well as a heart of gratitude, 
which turns our focus away from what we don't have to what we do have, we should foster a heart of generosity, where our focus turns away from what we do have and what we want to, to hold on to, to what other people need. And we should be, as Christians, a radically generous people, sacrificing our time and our money and our possessions for things that will last in eternity. Uh, with this, it's important to know that desire here is not wrong. We are to have desire, but often our desires are misdirected, but we are to desire treasure in heaven. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So don't misdirect your desires to earthly things, but here's where the desire should be directed. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus tells us, don't misdirect your desires to things that do not last. Rather, have a desire, but for something far better, treasures in heaven that will never be destroyed. And he tells us that if we are generous in our giving, our hearts and our desires will be more directed and focused on God and his kingdom and his righteousness because where our treasure is, there our heart is as well. And where you give, where you give your money, naturally you will take an interest in where you're giving, won't you? So there is your heart on the things of God. So don't, this commandment is not, don't have any desires at all. It's rather, desire something far better. And finally, we need to develop habits of good stewardship of that which God has given us. So all of us have been given uh, money and uh, possessions and bodies and all sorts of things. We need to use them for him and his glory. Uh, one of the problems I think we face today is the ease with which we can use our money so easily with one click. Um, it's easy just to buy stuff, isn't it? Without thinking, it pops up. Um, you have one click, and it's delivered the next day. But as Christians, we need to remember that if all of our money is God's, we need to think before we purchase. We need to think, can I afford this? We need to think, do I really need this? We need to think, could this money perhaps be better used elsewhere? And linked to this, I would say as Christians, in obedience to this command... We should avoid uh, consumer debt. That is, debt that we don't need. Because debt is a slave master that is linked to covetousness. And we don't want to be under that. It's a, a, a slave master that we, we don't want to be under. So I would, just as an encouragement there, uh, use our possessions and our money wisely. Not just spending it on stuff. Uh, that perhaps we needn't do. And again, for each of us, that might be different. Um, it's a good uh, conversation perhaps to have. Uh, perhaps one uh, biblical way of mitigating against covetousness is through uh, fasting. 
Uh, this, is, this can be food, where we fast and redirect our desires towards God. Uh, but certainly I would recommend, um, in light of the, 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 the algorithms I was talking about before, perhaps one day a week where you are not using your phone or tablet or computer so that you're not being bombarded with whatever the big tech algorithm is throwing at you. It's a good habit to have one day a week where you put that aside and redirect your attention on the things of God. If you can do that, I would, I would encourage you as, uh, to do that as a, as a good habit uh, in, in following this, this command. But above all, our greatest desire should be for Christ. For his glory to be known, for his kingdom to come, for him to give us what we really need above all. And one day, all of our longings will be fulfilled. All of the commandments that we have read and studied over this year, they are all also promises. They are promises to us that there is a day coming when we will keep all of these perfectly. In glory, when we are with Jesus, we shall have no other gods before him. We shall make no idols. We shall never misuse his name, but we will uphold it rightly and honor it always. The Sabbath will be kept perfectly, resting in him forever. We will honor the ultimate authority God has placed over us, him as our father. We shall never kill. We shall never commit adultery. We shall never lie. We shall never steal. And on that day, we shall never covet, no longer covet anything of our neighbors. And all of our desires will be in the God with whom we will dwell. That will be true for each one of us individually. And when we're there and we're looking around, nobody else will be doing any of those things either. It'll be a world that we all want to be in. It'll be a world of true freedom with our God forever. And it's a world that is waiting for us as God's people. And until we reach that day, the Ten Commandments are here to tell us that day is coming. Live in the light of it now. How, live it now. And one day, when the work in us is completed, we'll live it perfectly. Well, the final song that we're going to have this evening uh, really is a prayer to encourage us to keep this God whom we worship in our vision always. So we're going to have uh, Be There My Vision and we'll remain seated as we listen to the words of this song. Oh. Uh-huh. 
I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and Thou only, the first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, when battle is done, grant heaven's joy to said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. <laughs>